Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. You are listening to the Qadam podcast, the series on the tafsir of Surah Yusuf. The meaning, the read through, and the breakdown and the commentary of the 12th chapter of the Quran here at Qadam Institute podcast. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, assalatu wassalam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, we are now on. Session number nine, alhamdulillah, you know, we've been doing this for over, uh, you know, a month and a half, almost two months now, uh, where we've been going over uh, from chronological, you know, sequence, start to finish, the story of Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam and the incredible events of his life and the incredible uh, narrations that we get from the Qur'an uh, and the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam about this amazing, amazing story. Uh, we ended off last week uh, with verse number, uh, we ended off last week, I believe, with verse number 35. So verse number 35, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he was concluding the, I, the, the, the section of the surah that discusses Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam's uh, confrontation with the uh, women of the city, right? Uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Niswatul Madina, the woman of the city. And from this section, from this chapter, we understand, and quite literally, there's a huge lesson in this for every single one of us, that in the Quran and in the Sunnah of the Prophet, we understand a very lifelong lesson, which is that sometimes we will be the ones who do good, but the outcome may actually be challenging for us, right? That there was nowhere in the religion where it's guaranteed that when a person does good, they will immediately yield positive reward from it in this dunya, right? There are many, many accounts in our tradition where people have done the righteous deed, people have taken the right decision, but ultimately they face a very serious trial and tribulation because of that good decision they in fact made. The Prophet ﷺ was a prime example. If you read in the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, how he eventually began to outwardly make da'wah, right? At, at first, Allah Ta'ala, he narrates to the Prophet ﷺ that you should uh, give da'wah, you should call to the people who are closer to you, right? And then after you've done that, now start, now start conveying the message to those who are in your community. And when the Prophet started doing that, he received a lot of backlash from that decision. Um, and this again proves that not every good decision will be met by a great reward immediately. Okay? And so at the end of verse number 35, we see that where Prophet Yusuf was imprisoned for Allah Ta'ala, he mentions, Hattahin. And this phrase in Arabic, Hattahin, means it could be any period of time. Hattahin could be a short while, Hattahin could be a several, you know, several amounts of years, etc., etc. It could be a, a designated amount of time. And so Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam is, you know, currently now in this story, in our series, he is currently in the prison. Now, something very, very incredible happens. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cuts to a very beautiful ayah. So in ayah number 36, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now mentions what is taking place inside of this sijn, this prison, okay? So he says, That in the prison entered two young men, fatayana, 
And fata basically in Arabic means young man or a young man. Okay, so fatayan, two young men. They entered the prison. Dakhala ma'ahu sijna. Ma'ahu meaning like they entered with him. Meaning that they were his prison, you know, uh, I guess community members you could almost call it. Right? That these two young men, uh, they were in prison at the same time as Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam. قَالَ أَحَدُهُمَا إِنِّي أَرَانِي أَعْصِرُ خَمْرًا And he says, one of them says that I saw in a dream that I was pressing wine, khamran. And by the way, this is one of the uh, areas of the Qur'an where ulama, they derive that the meaning of khamr in fact more purely means wine. Meaning alcohol that's derived from fruits, right? So a lot of these other, so I mean, I'm not going to get into this extensively, but this is where, by the way, when, when, when you know, the community asks about questions on alcohol involved in medicine and alcohol when it comes to, you know, like rubbing alcohol, etc., etc., this is actually in, in, in Quranic understanding, not the khamr that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses in the Quran itself. That the khamr that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses in the Quran is actually speaking about pressed wine, meaning like fruits, okay? Now, so he says that one of them says that I saw myself in a dream pressing wine, okay? A'asiru khamran. al-akharu, the other one of them now speaks. And he says, inni arani ahmilu fawqa ra'si khubzan. So he says, the other one says, I saw in a dream that I'm carrying khubz. Khubz obviously in Arabic means bread. Khubz upon my head. Okay? I'm carrying bread upon my head. And And birds were eating from it. Okay? So these two dreams were presented to Yusuf alayhi salam. From these two young men who entered the prison with him. Alright? Now, the first question that we have to address is, who are these two young men? Okay? Who are these two young men and what are they doing in prison? Well, Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, he quotes Qatada. He says that one of them was the king's uh, cupbearer. Meaning he used to basically carry the belongings of the king. And this, by the way, is the king of Misr. Yusuf was under the guardianship of the Aziz. This man was more so almost like the secretary. This who we're talking about here is the actual king. The man who is in charge of the entire area of that time. Okay. And so one of them was the cup bearer, the one who used to carry around the belongings of the king. The other, Qatada says, was the cook. He was the cook or the baker, the man who was in charge of feeding the king. Okay? Now, the question arises, why were they in prison? We all know the story of Yusuf alayhi salam, why he is in prison, and obviously he was in prison wrongfully. Right? He was the one who was cleared of his innocence, but because of the cover-up of the story... Right, the Aziz and his wife Zulekha, they wanted to cover up their, their, their reputation. They wanted to cover up their tracks. So they said, the best case scenario here is that we throw Yusuf in the prison because obviously, who cares about him? Who cares about him? This is the Aziz and the, and, and the wife of the Aziz. Imra'atul Aziz, right? So in societal eyes, 
it would seem much more important to hide the sins and the faults of the Aziz and the, and the wife of the Aziz than the innocence of Yusuf alayhi salam. And this is, by the way, something, there's a very hidden lesson in all of this. That we see this play out in a lot of modern day issues where people who are viewed as higher up in economic status or socioeconomic status are always covered up for. And this is what we actually literally call the abuse of authority or the abuse of power, right? That those who are looked up at in society who are wealthier are the ones who are always covered up for. It's easy to cover up for them, right? Why? Because they just pay it off. Just give a little money here. Give a little money there. In America, it's obviously kind of more, you know, on a day-to-day basis, it's more foreign. You know, in overseas countries, I mean, this is something that's very normal, by the way. I remember the first time, well, I was born in Bangladesh, but I remember the first time I went back there after living in America for quite a few years. I was used to, like, the American legal system, right, when it comes to, like, police officers and authority, right? If you get pulled over by the cop, you try to, you try to, you try to bribe that cop, you're getting even more trouble. But overseas, you hand them a few bills here and there and you're free to go, right? The cop might come to your dawah later that week as well, right? You, you, you handed him a few extra pieces of his salary that day. So, and, and this is common, right? And, and this happens a lot, by the way. And we're very spoiled sometimes in the, in, in the norm that we live in where day-to-day things are you know, more kind of you know, uh, ironed out and creased out. But if you want to kind of take back the layers of the corruption of, 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 of a lot of things that go on behind the scenes, this happens even in this country, right? People who are innocent will sometimes go to prison. People who are guilty will sometimes roam the earth free, okay? And so we know why Yusuf was in prison. Now, why were these two young men in prison? Well, the scholars, they mention that one of them was responsible for trying to poison the food of the king, okay? One of them was, was allegedly trying to poison the food of the king or the drink of the king and both of them were involved in some way or the other, okay? So they both conspired this. One of them actually tried to go through with it. Both of them were guilty of this and so this was under investigation. So during the meantime, they were kept in the prison. Now, at this point, these young men, they entered the prison and they tell Yusuf alayhi salam this dream, okay? And they say, Why did they approach Yusuf alayhi salam? Well, the, the answer is right there. They say, We have certainly seen you. We have noticed you as one of the good people. As one of the good people in here. Now this is a very interesting point to make here that the scholars, they actually bring up. They say that the behavior of Yusuf in prison was very profound. It was very profound. Because there's almost two routes that somebody can take when it comes to this sort of, you know, uh, demise, you almost would call it. That a person was wrongfully put in a prison. There's two ways to react. One is... Woe is me, right? And there's a very famous surah, ayah in Surah Al-Fajr. وَأَمَّا إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ فَقَدْرَ عَلَيْهِ رِزْقَهُ فَيَقُولُ رَبِّي That whenever, you know, I, get, I go through tests and trials and I go through affliction, then all of a sudden, you know, my Lord has basically, uh, you know, given me something that I didn't deserve. 
right? Why did this happen to me? And this is something that, across, that crosses a lot of people's minds when it comes to trials and tribulations. A person who doesn't understand to say, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun, their immediate mindset is, why me? But the one who in fact goes through, goes through hardship and truly is a believer, they always remember everything is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and even I am going up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala one day. Right? And so Yusuf alayhi salam, he chose to take the latter approach, which is, I'm in prison, alhamdulillah, at least I'm in prison with my dignity intact. That I know that I made the right decision. There's a very famous English proverb that says, how do you sleep at night? How do you sleep at night? If a person commits a crime and they get off free, they get away with it without any sort of repercussion, that person, I can guarantee you, even though they're free in this dunya, they are not sleeping one night peacefully. Yusuf alayhi salam, although he was in prison, I can guarantee you he got some very good nights of sleep in that prison. Why? Because he knew at the end of the day, his conscience was clear with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is one of the most important things that we can ask for. Is that our conscience to be clear with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why we, you know, sin is called you know, burden. Why? Because it bears down on a person. Until a person asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness, that sin quite literally is a weight upon his or her shoulders. That they cannot move on with their life until they, they repent, they make tawbah, they do istighfar for what they have done. And once a person does that, and why do you think, I mean look at the people who come back from hajj. Look at the people who come back from hajj. They're almost, it's like they're almost a new person. Why? What's the reward of doing hajj properly? Is that your entire slate of sins is completely wiped clean. This person for the first time in 30, 40, 50, 60, imagine some people doing hajj in their 70s. My daddy, my, 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 my paternal grandmother, she did her hajj when she was 75 years old. I remember when she came back from Mecca that year, this woman looked like she was 60. After something as rigorous as hajj, she came back looking younger. And although you cannot explain it physically, you can explain very well, you can explain that spiritually. That the burden of sin, when it's alleviated, can make a person so peaceful. And so Yusuf alayhi salam, he spent the time he had in the prison being a muhsin. A person who was just a good person in the prison. And whenever, and, 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 and you know, the scholars, they write about this, that when Yusuf alayhi salam came into the prison... It was because of his prophetic morals and mercy and affection that he used to show concern about all the fellow inmates around him. He, he showed care for these people. And he, the, the scholars even say, and for the nights when he was by himself, by his lonesome, he would remain engaged in ibadah. He would worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at night. And this, by the way, would actually catch the attention of everyone in the prison. Jesus would catch the attention of everyone in the prison. That everyone in the prison is miserable. Everyone else is miserable. Everyone else is counting down the days till they get out of here. But there's this one man who seems like he's just as happy in here as he was when he was out. He would spend his day caring for the people around him and he would spend his nights thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for everything that he has in his life.
And there's even a narration, by the way, this is very incredible. There's even a narration that mentions that even the, the, the guards who were in charge of the prison, the guards who were in charge of the prison, they would say to him, they said, had it been in our power, we would have let you go a long time ago. Had it been us who are in charge, we would have let you go a long time ago. So that we cannot do that, obviously, the guards themselves have no power. They're under the, the, the legislation and the law of the people that are above them. They said, now that we, cannot even, we can't do that, the least that we can do is make your stay here something that is not an inconvenience to you. Meaning that we're going to make every moment of you being in this prison something that is bearable. Because prison, obviously, from the accounts of people who have been there, from the accounts of people who have gotten close to it, is not anything that anybody would want to go through. So, now, Yusuf salam he addresses these inmates, the people who asked him about this dream. Okay? And, uh, oh, subhanAllah, this is very powerful. This is actually... In Ibn Kathir, his, his tafsir It says that when these prison guards and inmates Would actually declare their love for Yusuf They would tell him that they actually loved him And cared for him because of how beautiful his character was Yusuf he would actually respond to them He says, Wallahi, do not love me He would say that, he would say, do not love me He says, whenever anyone has loved me I have suffered one way or the other Subhanallah so he was actually almost like, he used to push away the praise of people. He used to push away the praise of people. Think about like the, 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 the sincerity of this man. I mean, we hear one small snippet of praise towards us and we run towards it. People would praise him and he would say, don't do it. Don't do it. Why? Because every time someone had praised me or loved me, I ended up suffering in one way or the other. When I was a child, my father loved me very dearly and it caused my brothers to throw me away. Just a few weeks, months ago, this woman claimed to desire me and because of that, I was thrown into prison. So refrain from your compliments for me. I'm doing this solely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a beautiful, beautiful person right here. And so at this point, at this point, he chooses to answer these dreams. Now, before we even <coughs> mention Prophet Yusuf Alayhi response, we have to mention two narrations of Ibn Abbas and Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhum. Ibn Abbas radiallahu an, the great companion of the Prophet he says that these two men had really seen these dreams. Meaning like these two dreams where one was pressing wine and the other one was carrying bread above their head and you know birds were eating from them. Ibn Abbas says that these two men really had these dreams and they were sincerely asking. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud he says that these two men actually did not have this dream, rather they were just testing the spiritual intel the, the spiritual uh, uh, intactness of Yusuf alayhi salam. They were just testing how spiritually intact Yusuf was. And both these opinions are valid. Allah Ta'ala knows best, of course. So when Yusuf he responds to these dreams, Allah Ta'ala mentions in verse number 37. So verse number 37, he says, 
nabatukuma bitawilihi qabl an yatiyakuma he says no food will come to you as your rizq as your provision illa nabatukuma except that i will tell you about it i will inform you about it bitawilihi with an interpretation qabl an yatiyakuma before it even happens so he's saying that I'm telling you something. You've come to me and you're asking me about the interpretation of these dreams. I will tell you that no food will come to you ever as your provision, but I will inform you of what it means before it has even arrived. Before it's even come to you. Now what is this? This is called confidence. <laughs> this is called confidence. Now, this is not confidence by the way based on his own abilities, which we find out in the next ayah. Because for, if a person just reads this ayah and this ayah alone, they'll say, oh, well, he sounds, pretty, he, sounds pretty, he sounds pretty boastful, right? He's saying that you won't ever receive any amount of food except that which I will tell you about it even before it reaches you. A person, and this is why, by the way, this is why it's so important. And I'll even speak to the young people specifically because the young people have a harder time understanding this. Because in school and in normal society, you will come across a lot of people who will quote random ayat of the Qur'an. They'll just say, oh, doesn't the Qur'an say this in this verse? And doesn't the Qur'an say that in that verse? Well, guess what? Did you read the verses that came before it? Did you read the verses that came after it? If I ever were to tell you that I was running around this table with my daughter, chasing her saying, I'm going to get you. And that's all you heard. There's a 29-year-old man running around a, a, a little child saying, I'm going to get you. If you read that and that alone and interpreted it in 1400 years later, you'd be saying, well, this guy is like a criminal. He's dangerous. What's he doing? Chasing after little children. But if I were to tell you, if you were just to read five sentences before that this was actually my daughter and we were actually playing a game of ch- a tag or whatever it is around the table together, then you would know, oh, this was nothing sinister. This is a very normal thing, a normal behavior between a father and a daughter. And this is why if a person just reads that ayah, number 37 by itself, just that portion, they will say, well, Yusuf seems boastful. He seems like a little bit, he seems like he's talking about himself in confidence. But then you, lead, then you read the phrase right after it. He says, ذَلِكُمَا مِمَّا عَلَّمَنِي Rabbi." He says, this is of that which my Lord has taught me. So immediately, he attributes everything back to Allah. He says, you've come to me with this request. There's not one piece of food that will, that will come to you without which I know the interpretation of why it has come to you even before it came to you. Then he says, This is only from what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taught me. And this goes back to the very famous, famous ayah in Surah Al-Alaq. عَلَّمَ الْإِنسَانَ مَا عَلَمْ يَعْلَمْ عَلَّمَ الْإِنسَانَ مَا عَلَمْ يَعْلَمْ Allah Ta'ala, He says that He is the one who taught you مَا لَمْ يَعْلَمْ That which you did not know. Everything that you do know, it comes from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And this is why it's very baffling when people use their own provisions to turn their back on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
There are so many people in this world nowadays. I'm sure a lot of people know about them. Very famous, very intellectually capable people who unfortunately challenge the existence of God. They challenge the existence from God even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them such a powerful brain. And this is why the scholars, they mention that human beings, sometimes even the best of them can be even worse than animals. That the best of them can be even worse than animals. Best meaning the most intellectually capable. And so he says, Rabbi. And so <coughs> before he answers, before he answers, he says, Inni taraktu millatu, millata qawmin. La yu'minuna billahi wa hum bil ukhirati hum kafirun. He says, Verily, I have abandoned the religion of a people that believe not in Allah Ta'ala. La yu'minu billah. They don't believe in Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. And they are disbelievers. Wa hum bil ukhirati hum kafirun. And there are people who disbelieve in the hereafter. So one of the most profound things I want everyone to take note of here is that does Yusuf immediately start responding with the response of the interpretation of these dreams? No. What does he do? He starts telling them about Allah. He starts teaching them about Allah. When there's such a temptation to immediately, I mean, somebody approached you for advice, someone's coming up to you for, for, for counsel, someone's asking you for something that only you, you and you alone can do. And the human nafs at that point is so tempted. Yeah, this is for me. Come to me. I'll teach you what I know. I will answer all of your questions. Immediately, he doesn't even answer their questions. He starts talking about Allah Ta'ala. He starts mentioning to them, this is all from Allah. I left. I have abandoned the religion. Millatan qawmin. The religion of a people, of my people. That they... Believe not in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, they associate partners with Him. And they don't believe in the hereafter. So I, before I even answer your question, I need you to know who I am. You think of me as a good person, but let me tell you what my principles are. And this is called da'wah right here. If anyone knows the word da'wah, he is a da'i, a person who calls towards Allah ta'ala. His goal is not to satiate his own desires. His goal is to call these people towards Allah. And this is why, you know, even the Prophet ﷺ, you know, when he was spreading the message, when people used to come to him and ask him, hey, can you tell me about this? And can you tell me about that? Can you tell me about this? Can you tell me about that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him in the Quran, he says, and don't say that you will do so and do so without saying, except, inshaAllah. Why? Because you're not in control of any of this. You're merely a facilitator. You're merely a piece in the puzzle that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has. You're nobody without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you think that your purpose is more important than fi sabilillah, then you have to rethink exactly why you're here. And this is why we remind, we remind a, lot, a lot of people in the community... Especially in the masajid. People think, oh, you know, if the imam is not here, then the masjid will collapse. Oh, if the board is not here, the masjid will collapse. Oh, if these donors aren't here, the masjid will collapse. Guess what? The masjid was fine before you, the masjid will be fine after you. This is a serious lesson that the heart sometimes does not want to hear. 
We think to ourselves that we're so important. Oh, if I'm not here, what's going to happen? If I'm not here to do this, what's going to happen? If I'm not here to turn the lights on in the message, what's going to happen? I'm the first person here, the last one to leave. Guess what, brother? There are people here before you and there will be people here after you. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept this deen intact after the passing of the Prophet he will keep it intact even after you're gone. And this is where we get that famous statement from Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala. And he says, for those of you who worship Muhammad, know that Muhammad has passed away. But those of you who worship Allah, know that Allah is hay, and he will never pass. Wala yamut. And he will never die. It's a big lesson for every single person. To know that we're all just small pieces. Small pieces. That's it. If any of us ever let the thought creep in that I'm important and without me this entire establishment would crumble, then guess what? The ikhlas that was in your heart, that whatever what there was of it, is completely gone now. It's completely gone now. And so he mentions to them that he's left the people who used to associate with Allah. And then he says, وَاتَّبَعَتُ مِلَّةَ آبَاءِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْحَاقَ وَيَعْقُوبِ He says, and I followed the religion. وَاتَّبَعَتُ تَبَعَ اتِّبَعَ To follow. مِلَّةَ The way, the, 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 the belief, آبَاءِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ so he says, you ever heard of a man called Ibrahim? Well, I'm a follower of his. You ever heard of a man called Ishaq, the son of Ibrahim? I'm a follower of his. And I'm a follower of my father, Ya'aqub alayhi salam. And so he quotes his sanad. Beautiful. We don't think about this when we read these ayat, by the way. He just quoted his, 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 his authenticity right there. You know when people come up to you and say, well, I think Islam this and I have this opinion of that. Where did you get it from? There are so many people on this planet that will quote you this hadith and that hadith, this ayah and that ayah. Well, where did you learn it from? Where did you learn that hadith? Who, who taught you? There's so many people. It's very alarming at the rate that people are self-taught nowadays. Oh, you know, I just Googled some articles on Islam. You know, I found out through this website that, you know, in Islam it says so-and-so. That this is halal and this is haram. That's not the way that Islam was preserved. Can you imagine if a thousand years after we are gone, if the scholars that we were learning from just kept on saying, well, yeah, you know, in an article that I read one time it said this. That's scary. How do we know that a scholar is valid? Because they can tell you exactly where they learned it from. I can say that I learned it from my teachers. An Abdul Nasir Jangta, An Mufti Hussein Kamani, An Sheikh Mikhail. I learned from these people. And they learned it from their teachers. 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 Up until the Sahabi and who learned it from? Directly from the Prophet ﷺ himself. This is what we call a sanad. It's a key piece in our religion. And to not have it is very, very detrimental to the community that we have today. So he says, Aba'i Ibrahim wa Ishaq wa Ya'qub, ma kana lana an tushrika billahi min shay'in. He says, never could we ever attribute any partner tushrika billahi min shay'in. That we never, sorry, nushrika billahi min shay'in. 
that we can never ever associate any partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Never will we ever do anything like that. This is from the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is alone from the grace and the blessings of Allah. Fadl, by the way, in Arabic does not just mean like a blessing. It means literally uh, 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 almost like a, uh, it's like a, 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 something that makes something peaceful. And this is where we get هَذَا min fadli rabbi, Right? This is from the, the, the provisions, the grace, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we have this. It is only because of the mercy that we have this. You wake up in the morning and your eyes work, this is fadl min ar-rabb. Your ears work, this is fadl min ar-rabb. You wake up and you're able to speak to your family, you see your mother and father with your own eyes, you see your children with your own eyes, هَذَا min fadli rabbi. These are all graces from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that nobody in fact truly deserves. Nobody truly deserves any of this. What did we do to deserve a good and healthy family? What did we do to deserve, and quite literally, and this is a very serious question, what did we even deserve to be born Muslim? We live in America now. Most likely the people to the left and to the right and to the front and to the back of you are non-Muslim. Why were you chosen to be of the faith, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah? Did you ask for it before you were born? La. No, absolutely not. Did somebody make dua for it? Possibly. Is it from the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you are here and you're able to see clearly this world that is so difficult to see in sometimes? Absolutely. It's merely from the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says, ذَلِكَ مِنْ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ عَلَيْنَا وَعَلَى النَّاسِ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَشْكُرُونَ He says, but most people, وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَشْكُرُونَ But the majority of people are not grateful to Allah Ta'ala. And so this is where we get the idea of fadl and shukr being tied to one another. You want to continue to, 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 to receive fadl in your life, fudul in your life, you have to be a person who is grateful for, Allah, for the things that Allah Ta'ala has given us. Fadl and shukr are tied hand in hand. The fadl will continue if the shukr continues. We have to make sure that we thank Allah Ta'ala for things that we have. It is very easy to complain about the things that we don't have. But to thank Allah for the things that we do have is something, even if you can count the amount of things that you wish you had instead, to thank Allah for the things that you have could actually in fact bring in more in your life that you would never expect it. Okay? And at this point, he ends his da'wah with something very beautiful. And we'll inshallah end with, uh, with, with ayah number 40 today inshallah. Because we don't have time to go on to uh, 41. So he says in ayah 39, he says, Ya sahibay sijn. He says, Oh my two companions of the prison. He says, he says, O oh, two companions of the prison, are many gods better or is the one Allah wahidun, the qahar, wahidun qaharun, 
is that the one that is in fact the one that should be worshipped? And so he's bringing to light the idea of what are you doing? Because they were used to worshipping multiple. So he says, mutafarraquna." He says, is, is multiple lords worthy of worship? Or is the one Allah al-wahidul qahar? Is that enough for you? And this is, and by the way, this alludes to a big culture that used to exist at that time that I quite literally will share something very scary with everybody that is very, very, it's not uncommon in our society. Because when we read shirk and you know, people who are mushrikeen and all these different things, we think of all oh, polytheists from a long time ago. Oh, these are people who are idol worshippers. They're no longer existent today. Yes, the direct idolatry may not exist in today's day and age, but you know what does exist? Shirk as-sagheer. This exists today. This exists today. Absolutely it does. Shirk al-kabir may not exist, but shirk as-sagheer most definitely does. Where people who are still upon that mindset, they worship things that are large in number. When I have extensive wealth, I worship my wealth. When I have extensive family, I worship the fact that I have a lot of family. When I have extensive social you know, provisions, I worship my social status. People may not outwardly worship idols anymore. But they sure do worship things that are in quantity nowadays. And so one of the points of da'wah was from this surah, are you going to worship things that are multiple, different kinds? Are those truly better than al-wahidul qahar? Is it better than one who is qahar? And the word qahar, by the way, the scholars, they translate it as something, they say al-qahar is something that is and undeniable Undeniable Irresistible Irrefutable The definition of Al-Qahar That when you have one Allah There's no There's no need of anything else No need of anything else Why do you need more? Allah is enough for everything For everyone And this is where we get Hasbun Allah wa ni'mal wakil Allah is enough for me Allah. That's all I need in my life. I don't need like four, five, ten gods. I don't need millions of dollars in my bank account. As long as I have Allah, nothing in the world will be able to stop me. This is the, this is the mentality of a mu'min. This is the mentality of a mu'min. Because even logically, they think the logical deduction here. If you, if, and, and this is why it's so easy, and we're not in the business of refuting and making fun of any other religions, by the way, but any religion who claims that we need to worship more than one deity and have this God in this area and that God of that area and this God here and the God of this and the God of that, it's, it's folly. It's absolutely, it's, it's a fallacy. If God is truly God, why does there need to be a God of one thing and then a God of another thing? And this is where the, 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 the Prophet ﷺ, he tripped up a lot of Arabs at that time. Because they would have multiple idols that would be responsible for different things. Allah, Al-Uzza, you know, this, God, this idol used to do this, and this idol used to do that, and this idol was the idol of risk, and this idol was the idol of, of ta'am, and this idol was the idol of shurab. There's different gods for different things. And the Prophet ﷺ says, why do you need all of them? Just do one. 
La ilaha illallah. Al-Wahid. He's, he's alone. Al-Ahad. That's it. And so after, after Yusuf alayhi salam, he addresses the idea of, of, of risk and fulul. Then he talks about, la, you know, the, the people are not grateful. Then he alludes to their logic. You see, you, you see the, the da'wah process here. These ayat of this t- today's session is very heavily on how to do da'wah. Because a lot of people, they're obsessed with trying to logically disprove the other person. Oh, why do you believe in this? Don't you know that God is one and this? Yes, that's all true. But let it happen in sequence. A person who does not even understand these things will not entertain any idea of logic because they haven't even, you haven't even done the first two steps yet. Because step number one, according to Prophet Yusuf salam, is to do what? وَنَرَاكَ مِنَ الْمُحْسِنِينَ You have to be a good person. The da'wah, the da'i has to be a good person. Why was the Prophet ﷺ called As-Sadiq Al-Ameen? Why wasn't he called La'ahalu Al-Quwata? Why wasn't he called Al-Kathib? Why was he called As-Sadiq? Because he was truthful. Why was he called Al-Ameen? That's the first step of da'wah. Is to have a good reputation to the people that you're talking to. If I am rude to my people, why on earth should they even listen to me? That's the first step. The second step is talk about what qualifies you. I've been a Muslim for this many years. I belong to this community. Give people your sanad. Where are you from? Who are you? The third is talk about the gratitude that we owe Allah. Don't you think after all you have, there should be a little bit of gratitude in your life? And then after that, then you allude to logic. Some people, unfortunately, they go to logic first. <laughs> they skip everything else, they go straight to logic. This is not the way to do da'wah. Not at all. It's one of the final pieces. And then finally, in ayah number 40, he says, He says, مَا تَعْبُدُونَ مِن دُونِهِ إِلَّا أَسْمَاءً He says, سَمَّيْتُمُ هَا أَنْتُمْ وَأَبَاؤُكُمْ مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ بِهَا مِنَ الْسُلْطَانِ He says, you do not worship besides him, but only names which you have named yourself. Meaning that like, you have no, you, the, 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 the ones you worship are the ones that you named. This isn't Allah. You just started naming random things, you started worshiping it. Remember Ibrahim before he found Allah Ta'ala, what he did? Oh, this is the sun. Maybe the sun is my God. Well, the sun has set. Maybe the moon is my God. Well, the moon disappeared during the day. Maybe the stars are my God. Oh, the stars also went away during the daytime. So everyone who tries to worship things that they actually see, Yusuf salam, he says that these are the things, سَمَّيْتُمُهَا أَنْتُمْ He says, this is, this is stuff that you, only you made up yourself. وَأَبَاؤُكُمْ And your forefathers did it before you. مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ بِهَا مِنْ سُلْطَانِ For which Allah has sent down no sultan, no authority. This is why like, as Muslims we believe in such a rich tradition. The Qur'an, the Sunnah. These are things that alleviate a person from having to make things up themselves. 
Look at this world that we live in. Guys, look at the world around you. Look at how many people look around to try to like figure out what morals and ethics are. You see this in mainstream society? What's right? What's wrong? My right is my right. Your wrong is wrong. My right is wrong. Your right is right. I mean, there's so much confusion here. Alhamdulillah, everyone, and they leave this message to say, Alhamdulillah, that we're Muslim. That our morals don't come from us. Our morals come from something way greater than what we can think of. When Allah Ta'ala says, That Allah says, good to be good to your parents after you worship Allah. Alhamdulillah that Allah gave us that legislation. It's not up to you and me to define where our parents fall. <laughs> Clearly Allah says in that, in, in that surah, After you worship Allah, Be good to your parents. It falls right up there with worshiping Allah, being good to your parents. This is a decree of Allah. It's something that is not debatable. How many times do you pray a day? Fara'id. Five. Not, no random person can be like, well, I think I should pray six today. Everything is decided for you. Say Alhamdulillah for that. Okay? And so at the end of this, he says, إِنَ الْحُكْمُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ أَمْرَ اللَّهِ تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّاهُ ذَلِكَ الدِّينُ الْقَيِّمُ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ He says he has commanded that you worship none but him. And ذَلِكَ دِينُ الْقَيِّمُ and this is the straight religion, this is the straight path. Rather, most of mankind does not know. They don't know about it. And so, to end today's session, inshallah, you know, to, 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 to appreciate the sequence of how you appreciate your own religion and how you teach other people about Islam. This is a huge, huge lesson from today. Before we even think about teaching other people about our religion, we have to ask ourselves, am I following this, this procedure that Yusuf Islam just laid out for us? Am I following this before I teach it to other people? Am I doing right by my deen before I try to convince other people of it? Because what gives you validation, what gives you authenticity is that you are the one who practices what you preach. If I tell the Muslim musalli, in this masjid right here, you know, don't get angry, keep your cool. And I'm out here yelling at people every single day at Fajr and Isha. It completely renders my advice useless. I'm a hypocrite. I'm not doing what I'm telling other people to do. So a part of this deen is walking the walk. You have to walk the walk before you talk the talk. Super important. And so inshallah, we'll end with that ayah and we will continue inshallah next Wednesday with ayah number 41, which teaches us the actual interpretation of the dreams of the two companions of the prison. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us for all of our shortcomings and our sins. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of the people who are practicers of what we preach. And we ask Allah ta'ala to forgive all of our shortcomings, whether they be known or unknown, whether it be direct or indirect, whether they be big or small. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to shower us with his blessings. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to enter into the highest levels of paradise. Ameen, rabbil alameen. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik wa nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu